Today is, uh, is our second sermon in um, Building Family, and uh, we're just, I'm so, I'm so blessed to be able to be a, uh, a church that builds, that builds family, um, that cares about this, and sometimes there's some practical stuff that we need to be taking care of. My computer does need to be plugged in, that's practical, right? We need to be taking care of some practical stuff and, uh, and recognizing that, that sometimes there's some advice giving and some structures that we need that are just really, really practical. Today's message is designed to be extremely practical. Um, we are, this is not going to be one of those like deep, heavy, get into the Bible, dissect the verses sermons, which we oftentimes do. This one's really just about, you know, connecting with the idea that God has for us in building family. And if anybody has been in a family for any part of their life, they know that family comes with conflict and uh, conflict is something that happens and we need to be able to deal with it and, and work with it and live inside of it. And so today we're going to be spending our time together just reflecting on that. Um, the, a lot of the sermon is actually going to be lifted from this book right here. So give credit where credit is due. This team of researchers actually talked about conflict and how to how to navigate conflict in our context. This book is called Crucial Conversations. It's the third edition. It has been a guidebook for organizations and families um, for helping people approach crucial conversations. So this is, it's an excellent book um, that, has, that has just been republished many, many times. It's not a strictly Christian book. There you go. I don't, they might reference Jesus once in here, maybe, but I don't actually think so. This is, this is not a Christian book. However, when I look at it, I see fingerprints of God's way in it all over the place. And I was like, okay, so it's fine. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to waste your time, but I am going to say this is a book worth reading. We're going to go through some of the concepts in this book. And, uh, and, and I want to qualify it. There's, there's a scripture in, in Corinthians where, where Paul says, you know, not the Lord, but I. You know, he, he just, he couches part of, part of Corinthians with, I say this to you, not the Lord, but I say this to you. And he's, and he's stepping out of this authoritative position. That's kind of what I'm doing here today. I'm stepping aside and saying, okay, this isn't Bible truth. This is something that I hope is helpful. And, uh, and I'm going to take this, this opportunity to share it. However, I'm going to start with the direction, which is Bible. So Matthew 5, 23 to 25. Jesus is telling about a person who is in conflict. And it says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you. Why is it always the guy? Anyways, your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there, before the altar, and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you will be put in prison." God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that here you, you in, in 
the Sermon on the Mount, you talk about people who find themselves in conflict, and you say, we need to come to terms. We need to be able to bring peace back into the relationship. And Jesus, I thank you that that's the direction that you point us to. That you say that we, that we can't even worship you properly until we've understood how to deal with our conflict, our conflict in our families, our conflict with our accusers, our conflict with the ones who, who struggle against us. And Jesus, I pray that today that we would be people who, who learn tools how to deal with our conflict so that we can grow in the type of peace and unity that you call us to. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, oh, man. Um, today on Slack, I just want to be listening to people and, uh, and, and being involved um, in that. But I want to start off by defining what a crucial conversation is. A crucial conversation is not often spontaneous. It's something where you've experienced tension, and probably you've experienced this in your family. If you're married, you might have experienced it in your marriage, where the two of you aren't on the same page. You're just not there. A crucial conversation is where the emotions are starting to rise. You know that point where you're using a lot of self-control to, you know, bite your tongue, that you're pretty sure that you need to say something, but you're like okay, this isn't going to land well, you know? Your emotions are starting to rise. The issue seems very important to you. It's very important. And not only is it very important, you know the third thing is that you don't think the person that you're talking to is on the same page as you. You are going to disagree, you don't share an end result on this. You disagree. So these things are surrounding your conversation. There's a sense of emotional intensity, a sense where, where this is extremely important to you, and you don't agree. Brothers, when you, when you bring your gift to the altar, remember, and you remember your brother has something against you, that's a crucial conversation that's gone bad right? You are in disagreement with each other. You're not in the same place. And, and you know it's coming, and, and you know that your spouse is just wrong, right? Amen. Amen. <laughs> it happens all the time. I mean, look at how far Wendy and Frank are sitting apart from each other. Like, this is it. This is it. I mean, we've got like families on opposite side of pews. We got, anyways, it's good. So what is your initial reaction to one of these conversations? Honestly, let me know on Slack. Um, <laughs> let, me, let me know on Slack. Do you yell? Do you resort to yelling? Are you a, are you a yeller? Do you use sarcasm to get through these conversations? Do you use silence? Are you a crier? Do you use avoidance? What is it in your, what is your initial reaction to crucial conversations? I, I definitely want to hear from you. Oftentimes, uh, we try to avoid them because we don't want to make things worse. It's with good intention that we want to avoid stuff. You know, I don't want to make it worse. 
If we bring it up, it's going to cause a big fight. I don't want to make it worse. Blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to let it set. We're not going to have anything here. We avoid it. Sometimes we just want to face them and have it out. You know those ones where you're like, you know what? This has been on the back burner for so long. We're just going to go at it right now. And I'm going to let you know what I really think. And I'm not even going to filter my words right now. I'm just going to go, and it's going to feel good. Anybody look for that type of catharsis? Right? Um, and then we know, okay, that's probably not the best thing to do. Um, <laughs> that's a great use of the meme. Um, we try to avoid them. Think about we'll deal with it later. But the final option is to have the conversation in a helpful family-building way. I mean, crucial conversations could be about how to discipline your children, about getting, getting your, your spending to fit inside of your earning. Come on. Deciding if your family should move. Don't move away from here. We love you here. Don't move. But <laughs> a word from the Lord. Um, deciding if your family should move. Tension from work overflowing into home. That's real, right? So often there are so many conversations that become important to have, but when it comes up, we're driven by our emotions and we miss how to properly articulate the issue at hand. So either our emotions eat at us and we ignore the issue, or we avoid the conversation, or we lean into our emotions and we blow the situation up even more. None of those things work. So what is it that you've done? What's your initial reaction to a crucial conversation? Uh, my kids know mine is a sarcastic, fine, do whatever you want. That's, that's mine. That's mine. My kids know it already, right? Um, someone says, apparently, I use silence. I love how they were just informed. Initial reaction, there must be something else I need to be doing right now. Exactly. I'm going to go do something else. Running away. Um, I'm like a dog pursuing a steak. I lean into the real conversation. <laughs> nice. So we have these these points, um, we, we have these points, someone brilliant. No point in arguing. As a man, you realize you're not going to win anyway, so you just walk away. Oh, you agree and walk away. Awesome. <laughs> there it is. Sorry, I missed the agree part. Maybe I didn't want to see that part. Um, no, these are great. So I'm going to go through some of the things that this book has, has helped me out with. Um, there's a whole bunch of content, so if anytime you, you want to ask a question, um, then just put it here in Slack, and uh, I'm going to, you know, like, look for, you know, a bunch of, like, emojis, people like, yeah, that's a really good question, I'll pause, I'll get to it. I also have a couple other questions, but I want to hear uh, what, what you guys think of this. Someone says, he who fights and runs away listens, uh, lives another, whoa, sorry, he who fights and runs away lives to run another day. Hey, it rhymes, so it must be true. <laughs> okay, let's get into it. How you approach a crucial conversation, your posture is vital to your success. You just saw me change the atmosphere in the room right now. I was rambling, 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 rambling. I simply said, okay. I slowed my position down, and I started to speak with a more intentional voice, and the atmosphere in the room just changed. The way you use your posture 
as you approach conversations matters. And so posture actually is part of our success in a crucial conversation. Intentional posture will help you avoid the pitfalls of ignoring or blowing up. And so uh, the Bible says that a calm answer turns away wrath. A calm answer turns away wrath. And this is so key in coming up with these crucial conversations because when we let our emotions drive the conversation, we incur a fight response. And so if your emotions drive and lead you into the conversation, it doesn't mean you can't be loud, but it does mean that, that your emotions will actually incur an emotional response. So our posture is most important. So what are some of the tools you have used in the past to prepare for a crucial conversation? So uh, I had a conversation with a respected member of, of this congregation. And when the member approached the conversation, he did an amazing, talented job of positioning the conversation in a way that allowed us to both engage without damaging our relationship. He knew that the conversation was important, and so he went through steps before having the conversation, before engaging in the conversation with me. His posture was one of respect and intention, and it works in family as well. Invest time in your family to make these conversations happen. When you know that there's a conversation that needs to happen, it's okay to spend time preparing for success, and that's what we're going to do right now. So um, what's something that you do to prepare for crucial conversation? One thing I tell my clients in therapy, when there is a heated fighting in the family, make eye contact and start whispering your response to the yelling person. If they want to know how to respond or argue further, it requires them to be quiet and listen. The change of voice changes the entire tone of the conversation. And so it's a tool you can, you can actually use. Prayer is another thing that people have used to prepare for a crucial conversation. Someone says, I literally rehearse sensitive content to conversations out loud, usually when I'm driving alone. Um, so this is... a. Uh, this is, this is really, really good. Someone said, I thought I already did premarital counseling with Rob. Um, <laughs> fair enough. So what are some of the things that we do? As you enter into a crucial conversation where emotions are rising, there is disagreement of opinion and the stakes are high, we need to first self-evaluate. Do you know what you really want? And this is really important. Do you know what you want? It sounds selfish, but it's not. So let's get down to it. What do you really want in this situation? Something's got your goat. Something's bugging you. What is it that you really, really want? Consider it in the larger picture of your life. Consider it in the family life. What is it that you want? If you're a child in the room, if you're a teenager in the room and you're listening to this, you will get into arguments with your parents. You need to consider what is your end goal? What do you really want in this argument? And you need to define that for yourself as you're preparing. What do you really want for you in this? And the second thing you need to consider is what do you really want for them? 
if you're a spouse, if, if you're married in this room, what do you really want for them? You're married to this person. There needs to be a consideration, an empathy, a, a, an imagination. What is it that I want for the other person as we get into this argument? What do I want for them? And what do I really want for us, for our relationship? Do I want our relationship to have healing on the other end of this? Or do I want our relationship to be hurt on the other end of this? Do I want our relationship to move into, into unity? Or do I want our relationship to be in a space where we're just going to continue to be at odds? What do I want? And, and be clear with yourself before you get into this conversation. If you need to, go for a drive in your car, as somebody suggested, then go for a drive in the car. If you need to, write it down and be like, this is what I'm looking for, this is what I want for us, make notes. Take time to invest in these worthwhile conversations. Teenagers, if you're in the room right now and you're looking for something that you want, work to make it clear what is it that you want in your own head? Because sometimes we get confused about what we think we want and what we actually want, and those two things get confused and causes miscommunication. Okay. Someone just said, um, someone said, I think I want to win, but what I really want is a solution, right? Someone, someone here is being honest. They're saying, I think I want to win, but what I really want is a solution. So how do we get to a solution? You create a common pool of language. So I'm going to give you an example. That's a phrase, a common pool of language. Am I talking about water in your backyard in a pool? No. Now, what I'm doing right now is I'm going to define this term for you. I'm creating a common pool of language right now. What it means is a common pool of language is when you and the person you're discussing with actually agree about what this means. So for us in this conversation, a common pool of language will mean that we are looking for words that we agree on. Agreed? Good. We just created a common pool of language. And so this is what we need to do. Because oftentimes you can get into a discussion where you think that you're going the same direction because you're using the same words, but you mean something very, very different. Let me, let me be transparent about what happened in Promise Church's recent history. We were in discussion about merging with another church. And the first three meetings were going really, really well. We were using language like mission and evangelism. And we were like, yay, this is a church on mission, and this is a church on mission. We should be able to get together. This is a church that cares about evangelism, and this is a church that cares about evangelism. Checkmark, we should be a church that gets together. As we got into further meetings, we started to understand that when we used the word mission, the other church also used the word mission, but meant something very different. And we were like, oh, maybe uh, this isn't going to work. Maybe these two churches aren't as close together as we thought they were because the mission wasn't the same. We didn't have a common pool of language. We were using the same words, meaning very different things. Clean the house. Common pool of language. Totally missing. The house is clean. We're fine, right? Any, any other guys like me? Yeah. The house is clean. We're fine. 
or maybe the other way. So, common pool of language. When you understand the person's meaning behind the words, you can hear their heart in the situation. The next thing is we, we need to, and this is as we get into it, we need to avoid the fool's choice. Now, this is a sure sign that you're emotionally engaged in a bad way. Emotions aren't bad, but there's a time when emotional engagement actually reduces your ability to process multiple options. Everything turns into a this or it's that. It's we either do this now or we do absolutely nothing and look like a fool. Right? This is an emotional appeal that creates a false choice. And false choices in crucial conversations will lead to strong disagreements that will actually start to break stuff down. So as you are entering into and participating in a crucial conversation, we need to avoid false choices because it puts me against the person that I am talking with. In, in premarital, we talk about putting the problem in between us and we fight at it, but what, but what we're called to do is actually put it in front of us and come together towards it. We want to, we will actually want to understand the solution rather than, rather than pushing in against each other. So avoiding the false choice. So there's a couple signs that you can be falling into a false choice. Either or thinking, when, I'm, when my thinking is starting to move either or, it's either this or this, then I know that I'm not engaging the emotion or, or I've, I'm engaged too much in the emotion and I'm not thinking about this with, a, with an eye to the solution. I have lost something here. So I'm slipping into a false choice. I see this a lot when my kids start fighting. It's all or nothing. I saw it a lot when I started fighting with my two-year-old. It was all or nothing. And my wife is like, dude, you got a problem here. She's two. Oh, shoot, you're right, right? So, so we've got this either or thinking. Avoid the fool's choice. Um, either she gets what she wants or I get what I want. They both can't happen. We know this. Fool's choice is always emotional. And then the next thing we need to always watch for as we're getting into our discussions is we need to watch for silence or violence. It rhymes. That's cool, right? Silence or violence. Silence is when a person, John Gottman writes a great book on marriage, and he says that that's when someone gets flooded, they stonewall. So when the emotions get too strong, then, then what happens is the, is the person on the receiving end just shuts up. Ever seen that happen? Ever been that person? You're still in wall. You're just, I'm done. And then the other person's still going. And the other person's like. Conversation's broken down. This is not success, people. Um, <laughs> this is, but it's real. It's real. We need to watch for this silence, this shutdown. Not because it's bad, but because what's happened is the person is unable to process anymore. They aren't able to come up with a solution that's going to be effective, and so then they just stonewall and they go into silence. 
We need to watch out for that. We need to be sensitive to it. Because when we did the, what do you really want? We didn't want something where our spouse or our family member is being broken down. We want something that's going to encourage proper dialogue. Unbridled emotions can push us into two solutions where nothing intelligent or helpful can be communicated. Great summary. Absolutely true. So that's silence. And then there's violence. <laughs> By violence, yes, it could mean physical, but more often, it's the use of, of words that, that start to sting. We stop talking about the solution, and we start talking about the problem with the other person. You start to point an accusing finger at the other person, demeaning them, deriding them, attacking them. The Latin word would be ad hominem. You come at them. It's when you feel like you're losing a discussion. And so the best move that you think is possible is to undermine the credibility of the other person. Now, of course, that never happens. But we know it does. So the, when we're at silence or violence, the, the usefulness of the conversation is on the knife's edge. It's either going to be a conversation that is going to divide and hurt, or it's a conversation that can still be recovered. Okay? We can still recover when we're here, but we need to know what to do. So let me just recap for a second. Um, and I'm going to ask you, do you have questions about what we've done, what we talked about? One, what do I really want for me? Create a common pool of language. Avoid the fool's choice. And watch out for silence or violence. So I'm looking for questions along here. Um, this is, yeah, this is just, there's a lot of content here. But here we've come to the point in the conversation where the person is either, they're shutting down or we're getting mad. I mean, is this just me or has other people done this? You've been there, right? People are shutting down or they're getting mad. And here's a couple things that we need to do. Remember our posture at the beginning. We're going to want to move back into the initial posture. There's a whole piece that we want to do that's called step out, make it safe, and step back in. Step out, make it safe, step back in. And this is where we actually can control or regulate the emotional temperature. So we're in a big discussion. Everything is like blah, 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 blah. Okay. Step out. What do you do when you step out? It's, it's a tool that's used by discovering the most recent point of agreement in the discussion. Okay, okay, okay. I hear you. Now, what we're talking about is how often we need the dishes done. Is it after every meal or is it once a day? That's what we're talking about. Can we agree that that's the conversation we're having right now? Is it once a day, or is it after every meal? What, I've, what we do with that conversation, even though it's tense and frustrating and yelling and all this other stuff that's happening, we step out and we come back to, this is what we're talking about. This is what we're talking about. We step out. 
The heightened emotion is because you're nearing the center of the tension oftentimes, the one where both of you are feeling like the other one is not landing near enough to the same conclusion. Um, so, so we've got this piece where, where we actually say, okay, so we need to change the topic, release the tension, or call a break. So somebody just asked, um, could you touch on a crucial conversation that you don't expect, where one person approaches a seemingly normal or even exciting conversation, but's met with unexpected resistance? Without time to prepare, the interaction becomes reactionary. Anybody else been there? It's a great question. Anybody else been there? You're, you're excited about something, you're presenting it, and then it's hit with a stone wall. And all of a sudden you're like, whoa, that didn't go the way I wanted it to. So one of the things that we could do where we don't have time to prepare is we can remember very quickly who that person is. And oftentimes we forget. In our excitement, we're excited about the thing and we forgot to remember who the person is. This is a family member. This is a loved, committed person in my life. This is someone I value. And so it's a quick reminder. And then posture is your first line. So one, if you're the person who is, who is receiving exciting news and you're the one dousing fire on it, posture is important. You need to understand very quickly why are you reacting negatively to the exciting news. You've got to create a common pool of language really, really quick. You've got to be able to put your finger on it and be like, and if you can't do it quickly, then you can just listen. Listen to the person's excitement. You don't have to fix it right now. Buy yourself some time. You could just be like, wow, you're so excited about this. That's, that's great that you're very excited. but you're excited, you know? And, and we just do this, and we're, okay. And we listen first, remembering who they are, what you want for your relationship. And, and, but it was a great question. <laughs> Dishes always belong in the cupboard. Right, good. Um, so stepping out is, is oftentimes happening because everything's getting too tense. You need to step out. Otherwise, you could start fighting against each other. Change the topic, release the tension, call a break. Compliment the other person. I mean, that's off-putting, right? You look really pretty today. But in, in, finding a genuine, <laughs> in finding a genuine way to compliment them, to be like, hey, I just really appreciate you. I appreciate you. Don't do the you're so pretty. You're going to get slapped, especially you two. Um, stepping out. It might mean that you've lost your common pool of language. Go back to what you agreed on. Reframe the conversation based on what you agree on. And then you're able to go back into the conversation. So you step out. You make it safe. Remember, the process that keeps your conversation actually moving to the outcome you both want. Here's a news break. Conversation is inefficient. It's not efficient. The most efficient way is to demand your way and have the other person just submit to you and just it doesn't matter what they think or feel. Conversation is not efficient, but conversation builds relationship. 
and builds trust. So embrace the conversation. Review your mutual respect and affirm your relationship. Um, the therapist in the room, my wife, just said a compliment and an argument can be perceived as avoidance, and that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just you know, trying to find that common ground as my wife disagrees with me. But you'll see what I just did there is I just went, okay, but that's not my intent. And actually, that's another thing that's happening in just a minute. So make it safe. Review your mutual respect for each other. Affirm your relationship beyond the topic. And take some time. It's inefficient. Celebrate your appreciation, your genuine appreciation for each other. Does the person I'm having conversation with respect me? And do, I be and do they believe that I respect them? And then finally, you're going to step back into the conversation. Here's how you step back into the tense conversation. You start off by apologizing where it's appropriate. Not apologizing for what's not appropriate, but for where it's appropriate. I apologize. I misunderstood your words. I apologize. I was speaking out of turn. I apologize. And you limit your apology to your contribution. That's important. I apologize you weren't listening. Doesn't work. <laughs> right? So you limit to your contribution in the, in the discussion. And you don't do what I typically do. Have you ever offered an apology with an explanation? My wife gets me in trouble for this all the time. I'm very sorry that I was late, but here's the seven reasons why I was late that makes it valid for me being late. Then you're not sorry for being late. Apologize for your part without explanation. It's just, okay, I accept that. Apologize. But this is where it's really good. Contrast to fix the misunderstanding. Someone just asked a question. How do you deal or communicate with people who seem determined to misunderstand you or project their things onto you, like what they believe of you? How do you communicate with people who seem determined to misunderstand you? And that's really the key part of it. When, when we're talking about relationships, if somebody, if you're perceiving that the person that you're in conflict with is determined to misunderstand you, then we actually have to go right back to the beginning, which is establishing what you want in the, in the conversation. I want to be able to trust that you have my best at heart. I want to be able to trust. What this question is talking about is it's talking about a lack of trust in the conversation. I don't trust that you have my best at heart. I think that you're trying to manipulate me or you're trying to impose your thoughts onto me or you're trying to misunderstand me. And, and so there's a trust piece there that we actually want to be starting to dig into and starting to define what do you want in that relationship? What do you want for the other person? I want to have a unified relationship. Do you want to be unified in this? Then how can we create a common pool of language to truly understand each other? And, and that's something that, that happens a lot. When a male speaks to a female, we use different language. And we need to create common language. It takes the time right there. Um, some, 
Wow. Valerie, why don't you come up here and help me preach this sermon? <laughs> Great line. Um, take it a step further and apologize and ask how your action impacted the other rather than give your excuses. Thank you. I take that personally. Um, <laughs> so creating a this or a that is, is contrasting the misunderstanding. Here's how you use it. This is what I really want to see happen. I really want to see the dishes in the cupboard all the time. This is what I want to see happen. I do not want to see the kids smashing the dishes on the ground. Thank you very much. Are we in agreement? Or closer? This is what I want to see happen. I want to see the dishes in the cupboard all the time. But I'm not looking, I'm definitely not looking for dishes in the drying rack. That drives me nuts. So do you see the difference there? Where now it becomes clear. The dishes are done. No, this is what I'm looking for. This is not what I'm looking for. And this can help bring clarity inside your crucial conversation. Contrasting, this is what we want, and this is not. Someone just asked a question, if you're in a family and you're dealing with a narcissistic person in your family, um, this crucial conversation piece would only be just the beginning of conversations when dealing with a genuine narcissist. Let's not throw that term around too easily. Narcissism is actually a, a, a mental health disorder that I know we like to say people have narcissism, but it's a disorder that's diagnosed. Um, so when you're dealing with someone who seems to be selfish or self-focused, then maybe there's a crucial conversation about being self-focused. Um, so this is what I'm looking for, and this is what I don't want, and it brings clarity. And then creating a new mutual purpose. This gets hard. Suspend your belief that your choice is the best and only choice. Your choice is not necessarily the best choice, and it most definitely is not the only choice. I don't care what your either-or thinking is getting at. There are other options on the table. There are always other options. What you've, what you've created is a sense of urgency based on a false sense of time that somehow the decision has to be made right now. Ask my wife about buying a new car. <laughs> and you'll see that we, can, that we can create a false sense of urgency about when we need to buy a new car. There are always more options than yours. Entertain variation solutions that still achieve what you want for the relationship, what you want for the other person, and what you want for me. You've got to allow yourself to think differently. Your solution was not the best, most thought out solution all the way through, because if it was, your spouse would have seen it and would have called you brilliant and you would have had no disagreement. So your thought is good, it's valid, but it wasn't all of it. There's more thought to be had. There's more communication. And so you together brainstorm 
what your new mutual purpose can be. Okay. Um, I think establishing that what I'm looking for and reminding myself will be very helpful, especially as I go off on branches during conversations and especially when things get heated. It's really hard to imagine this though because I get very lost in the emotions of the argument and it's hard to rein myself in. I completely agree with this. I am a very emotional processor as well and I believe that what helps me in this situation, it might help this person, is actually, or even any of us in the room, is actually writing down, even during the conversation, writing down what your hopes are. Because your conversation does take spaghetti trains, bringing it back, stepping out, making it safe. This is what we're talking about. And creating that, it's written down so I can look at it. Oh yeah, this is what we're talking about. How do we start talking about that? This is what we're talking about. That solution is for another day. This is what we're talking about. Okay, someone says, is it possible to gently talk to an insecure person about something hurtful they've done without it coming across as a personal attack to them? I'm going to read it one more time. Is it possible to gently talk to an insecure person about something hurtful they've done without it coming across as a personal attack to them? The quick answer is yes. The quick answer is absolutely it is possible. However, your conversation must have grace in it. Your conversation, assess what you really want. I need to address the hurt. Then your conversation needs to, needs to then address what you want for them. I recognize that they are insecure. I want them to be able to understand this without it crushing them. Recognize what you want for the relationship. I want us to continue to have a strong relationship where this hurt has been exposed and has been forgiven and there's been an apology. These are valid frameworks and now I can start to, to have a conversation about it. Um, and there's, there is wisdom in in being that person where you're able to say, okay, I want to understand you. I want to understand what your motivation was. So I'm brushing the surface of a really important topic. Um, this book here is worthwhile read. You'll recognize a bunch of the language that I used in it. Um, I encourage you if, you, are, if you are having times where conversations are flying off the handle and you're not getting the resulting conversations that you're looking for, I would encourage you to pick up this book um, and read it. Uh, it's got very useful things for family. Let me just read the verse that I started with at the beginning. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, therefore remember your brother. Oh, and, and while you're there, you remember your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there. Have a crucial conversation and be reconciled to your brother. That's, where, that's what Jesus is talking about. Have this conversation. Bring peace inside of your family, inside of your community, so that we can continue honoring God together. Let me pray. Jesus, in all our ways, we want to acknowledge you. And you will guide our paths. You will make them straight. And so, Jesus, at the beginning of all of this, we know that we're going into conversations. We know there's so much stuff we have to think about. But, God, I just pray that we would acknowledge you. 
that you would make our paths straight, that our grace for each other would abound, that our love for each other would be seen in boldness to have conversations that are necessary, and that you would be glorified. I pray for families that are in conflict consistently and they don't know a way out. Jesus, I pray for peace. I pray that you would reconcile. God, for families where people tend to intentionally seem to, to, uh, to misunderstand each other, I pray for peace. Jesus, I pray that, that we would have patience to have listening ears for each other. And I pray that you would be glorified above all. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, thanks, and uh, we'll see you again next week to talk about mentoring in families. God bless you.